0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, and let's have a good time. Why, hello, everyone. I do apologize if there's like some sniffling and stuff like that. Uh, I'm a little sick. The, uh, the heating in my apartment's been weird lately, and it's not exactly working the best. So yeah, coming down with a little bit of a cold, I think, which sucks considering the holidays are here but what are you gonna do anyway let's let's just dive in uh this is not going to be a, an entire episode again knocking phoenix point i'm just using phoenix point as like a springboard into the discussion because yeah phoenix point is it, it, it's done it, that's it's over it's bad it's so bad for so many reasons all right Outside the, the glitchy mess, it can be, you know, visually speaking, UI speaking. Hell, the one time I missed an enemy because there was a hitbox apparently I was hitting, but I had no idea where the hitbox, like, I didn't see the hitbox. For all I knew, the bullets were going around everything. The Another big, big thing that Phoenix Point did poorly was balancing. Every game need some sort of balance. Even if it's a single-player game, there's some sort of balance that goes into the game that makes it where any play style can be viable. There might be ones harder than others, but any play style can be viable. And then also, you're not completely ripping your hair out over difficulty and things like that. So that goes again. Single-player campaign, but also multiplayer is each class you know, equal in worth. you play Call of Duty, it's viable to have a sniper or a guy with shotguns or something else. Like, there's some sort of balance that goes in that doesn't just make one weapon, one loadout, one play style, one class, the absolute meta that everyone plays it. Because that does happen from, you know, it happens here and there in a lot of games and Phoenix Point being very guilty of it. So we'll start by bashing Phoenix Point because that's you know, easy to do. But I want to also explore a couple other things like that struggles with balancing games. So Phoenix Point, one of the big problems with Phoenix Point is something that XCOM 2 War of the Chosen also did. If you have a soldier that survives until late game, so it hits like a high level, they're nearly unstoppable. I watched a video once of XCOM 2 War of the Chosen, where there was a guy that had an assault ranger, clear out, I and mean, this is like endgame mission with like archons and gatekeepers and stuff like that. He had a single ranger kill every enemy on the field first turn because of the amount of abilities and other things that that character could do. Phoenix Point does the same damn thing. If you train an assault in that game with a shotgun, They are unstoppable. You make them have high willpower, you make them have high movement, and you give them rapid clearance, and there's one other ability, I can't remember the name of it, that gives them bonus willpower whenever they kill an enemy. Now, the reason why you do all that? Well, they have high willpower, so you use the dash ability so they can run real close to an enemy. You then give them a shotgun, preferably a shredding shotgun to ignore armor, and then you give them rapid clearance. Rapid Clearance, every time it kills an enemy, they get two action points back. It's not necessary, but it's helpful. From there, you have the ability to get bonus will points for killing an enemy. Every time you kill an enemy, you essentially get refunded the amount of willpower it takes to do a dash action. Not fully, but that's why you have high willpower. Next thing you know, your assault has killed every enemy on the field. To a point that the only thing that stops them is running out of ammo. Because, again, using the DAS action, if you happen to miss or not kill the enemy with the one shot, you have extra action points from the previous kills you got. Because every time you kill someone, you refund your action points. Because it takes two action points to shoot. I did a mission once where we had to protect some civilians. And, yeah. <clears throat> Turn one. My assault just killed everything. That was it. That, that, that's all I needed to do. Now... This is bad. Yeah, it's great because as a player, it's making my life easier. Don't get me wrong. But the idea of doing a strategic style game with a squad, there's no point. I could straight up just send my assaults. That's all I needed. I didn't need anyone else on the team. It kind of ruins the entire point of the game being this squad-based strategy game. Because I don't need the squad. On the flip side, some of the enemies of Phoenix Point just... Do not care about standard rules and really break things. The Siren, a psionic style enemy. Now, usually, like with XCOM, when you had the Sectoid's commanders in the first game, the enemies that had psionic abilities were relatively weak, the exception being some of the late game guys like the Gatekeeper in XCOM 2, or the Ethereals in XCOM 1. The thing is they're end game. By then you have some means to handle them. But outside that, most psionic enemies were fairly weak. Their psionics weren't that powerful, or they were fairly easy to take down. The Sirens are the fucking worst. Like, incredibly high armor, an incredibly high health pool, decent speed so they can move pretty fast, and they can mind control you. Now, that's a a staple of most of these alien-based games, is mind control. That's, That's a staple. Okay, that's not the problem. The problem is, with the Sirens' high willpower, it is allowed to. No one else, like, if your characters can't do this, only the Siren's allowed to do this, can mind control multiple people. So if you don't take the Siren out immediately before it gets close enough to mind control you, because in this game, everything's guaranteed, like, there's there's no percentage on mind control, it's just you have the will you don't, it will just mind control your entire squad. Doesn't matter. And how do you get the mind control back? Well, over time, like, they lose will points over time, eventually when they run out of will points, the mind control will end. But again, this character has high will points. That's rarely going to happen. You really can't wait it out because it's sending, you know, your soldiers against you. You need to kill them ASAP. Everything else doesn't matter. You need to kill the siren right away. If there's two sirens, you better pray you only encounter one at a time because then you're in in trouble. Yes, you can get rid of its will points by incapacitating its head, by crippling its head, but again... High health and high armor. If you don't have shredding technology, you can fuck right off trying to do that. Because it's not going to happen. Yes, there's acid damage, but acid takes too long. So when I see a siren, I'm like, well, fuck me, I guess. Because my only option is to kill it immediately and waste all my abilities. in killing it immediately and pray to God that the rest of the enemies either don't kill me with your turn fire or just don't kill me on their turn. And then a, a huge crime, a huge crime... That it did was one of the last missions. I never beat Phoenix Point because of this. I, I never did because I just did not feel like going through the slog of this. I got to this mission that I assume was like endgame. You know, one of the factions I was, I was disciples of a new one hundred percent with them. We were allies to the end, and the exalted tell, told me what her grand plan was to end this whole thing. Yada yada yada, whatever. So I'm like, okay, let's go do this. So I get to the mission. When I say It took five minutes for the enemy turn to go. I'm not exaggerating. There were so many enemies. It was ridiculous. And not only were there so many enemies, if I didn't have a specific mutation, I would have instantly lost. Instantly lose. Sorry. I'm sick. My mind's not working. And here's why I say this. There were four shirians or whatever, these artillery-type units that the Pandoran virus has. And the mutation they had for the mission was goo. So they did no damage. It did nothing. It didn't hurt me. I don't think it even poisoned me. But what it does is the goop takes up a fairly large area when it lands, and anyone caught in the goop is immobilized for, like, three turns. Not one turn. Three or four turns. And why is this bad? Well, my entire squad gets goot because there's four of them, so they can just cover my entire area with goop. And then the three or four sirens, about five tritons, eight arthurians, and then the two essentially alien queen-style things, like the really big crab-like things that have like a female face that they always like show in the trailers. There's two of them, which are even stronger than the sirens, that shit out mindfraggers every turn. I am now gooped. What am I supposed to do? Those things can just walk around the corner and murder me. There's nothing I can do. I'm gooped. The only reason why I lasted the one turn is because I had the Exalted with me, and she has very powerful psionics that she was able to just kill things through walls because reasons. And then my shotgun guy, my assault, had this mutation on his legs that made him immune to goop. So him and the sniper were able to actually kill a few things before the guy around the corner. But then after that, the mission went south because I didn't expect the second alien queen there who was shitting out minefraggers every turn, and, well, it just kind of fell apart. And then also, my end goal was to kill this big egg-like thing that had a shit ton of armor, and I only had, like, one guy with armor piercing, and he ran out of ammo immediately dealing with the alien queens because weight capacity is a thing, so I didn't have enough ammo to just, you know, kill five enemies that have 100 armor each. So I kind of just gave up. Like, it was so imbalanced, and I was sick and tired of waiting five-plus minutes every time I was done for the enemy to go that amounted to pretty much nothing. It was mostly them just moving around because I didn't go around the corner yet. I was, you know, taking pot shots with my assault and going back behind cover because I knew if I ran out there, the Arthurians would rip me to shreds with the turnfire. And then I'd get gooped by the artillery units. Like, it was... There was no strategy. It was so imbalanced that there was no point in me trying to do anything. I felt. I felt there was no point in me trying to do any sort of strategy. Because there's no reason. There's straight up no reason. And this happens in a number of games. Maybe not as bad. Maybe just as bad. But I've seen it across multiple different types. Heck, Android Netrunner. I love that card game. It's an amazing card game. Yet, I was playing online once because my friend showed me there's a new website that allows you to play it online, which is pretty cool. And it's free. They got all the cards there. You know, I'm not bad. I'm not like I don't feel bad at stating it because essentially the game's dead at this point, like in terms of releasing new content and making a profit. However with the online versions since everything's free, you see the meta is really strong. And that's why I, I'm not a fan of a lot of, like, trading card games. Meta, meta game is, is strong with, with this one because there's just certain things that work so well. So I'm playing this game online, and I'm facing a lot of runner decks that are criminals that run the same kit because there was one criminal contact. I can't remember his name. I fucking hated him. But essentially, one of the big things is that the, the runner can struggle with, you know, money and connections when the corporation can do it just fine because they're a big corporation. There's just one contact that you get as a runner that was just, by the way, you're going to just get money every turn and just, like, remove tags every turn, like, if the corp does a thing. And the problem is one of the big things the corp has against the runner is tagging them because then you can deal damage to the runner, destroy their resources, things like that. But this one card just showed up said, "Yeah, you just get rid of them. Just, just get rid of tags. You don't have to worry about it." Like it, I can't remember the exact trigger, but it essentially felt like if the corp does a thing, it just you get rid of your tags. Which yeah, if you play something like NBN or Wayland, you need tags. Like the big way NBN and Wayland fight back is by tagging the runner and then doing things about it. But there was this one contact that criminals could get that just straight up fucking ignored it. And then I saw every single runner deck ran with it because you had to because it it nullified a huge part of the corporation's toolkit and that is horrible balancing when you're able to just take something and straight up say that no longer applies why like what, what, then what's the goddamn point point? and it happens sometimes in rpgs where it's just that is no longer a thing it just it it doesn't really matter anymore if you want to do that, I and it's at least with RPGs, especially tabletop RPGs, it kind of comes down to what the GM does. Does the GM allow it to happen? I was, and I'm kind of like spitballing around here. I'm just trying to get through a lot. <laughs> I'm playing this game with the G, you know, Lancer game. My buddy's a GM, good guy, and everything. And he straight up made into combat that myself and this other guy who are playing like artillery, like long-range DPS, are straight-up useless because he kept blinding us every turn. And we're sitting there, like, every turn, like, yep, that's our turn. We, we don't do anything. We, we can't do anything. We're not allowed to do anything. Every turn, we're getting blinded. What do you want us to do? It's not like we can run up to fight the enemy because I'm an artillery unit. I'm going to get ripped to shreds if I get close to the enemy. It's... a headache... When you're doing it. Because something like Phoenix Point. Honestly I can just kind of like shrug it off. Like yeah it sucks I spent the money on it. But it's just me versus the computer. If it's horribly. If it's badly balanced. It's it's whatever. It's the AI. It's just me. It's not a big deal. But things like d d Lancer. Netrunner. You know those kind of games in general. You need to be able to enjoy it with. Other players, other people need to be present for you to enjoy the game. Like, that's the point of the game. point of Netrunner is that multiplayer experience. The point of Lancer. The point of d d The point of just about any tabletop RPG is you get a group together as a party. You get one person being the GM, and you just go off on adventures. It's the interactions that make it fun. Yet, when you... Tip the tables in favor of a specific things in terms of mechanics of a specific play style, it kind of hurts everything then. Like, then it's, it's the immersion kind of goes away because, especially tabletop games, yes, it's a game, it, it's a table, it's an RPG role playing game. It is a game, though role playing games are their own niche because it's supposed to be about the experience you have with people. At least that's what I believe. So when the rules of the game start to favor certain play styles, it kind of hurts everything else. I was having a conversation earlier today with some people on Facebook. Not really a conversation, just I saw a post and I was commenting on it too based on what they said, you know, as, as you do on Facebook. And someone asked, like, what exactly does min-maxing mean? And then comments were going on and on about if it's good, it's bad, it's, you know, whatever. And... I made a comment of a reply to what this one person was saying, because they mentioned five, how Five E is structured, and it's a very good point. Five E, in terms of a role-playing game, Five E isn't really structured towards role-playing, and it's not because it throws it out the window. It's clearly like still there. Like, there's plenty. If you look through the book, there's plenty of stuff about like you know what you can do for role-playing, like interacting with towns and villages, how to build this, how to run a business. Like, those things are there. Okay, that's not what it is. It's in terms of building a character. The whole role playing thing's kind of ignored. Back in 3.5, I remember playing a bard and I loved it because there were so many abilities as a bard that catered towards role playing and like resting. You know, they had like Song of Rest, they had this, they had that, they had so many like utility things that. Could buff allies in combat, don't get me wrong, but also kind of work on stuff for role-playing. You know, they had access to many skills, they had access to class abilities and spells that just straight up, if you use them while role-playing, would be amazing. Then we look at the Bard in 5e, that's kind of gone. Like, there's still Song of Rest that's really all they have from 3.5. Most of their stuff caters towards combat. And not even, like, buffing allies. Just, you know, there is that buff allies of bardic inspiration, but that's it. It's not like you have a bunch of different songs that you can play. It's just bardic inspiration. And then whatever you pick for your archetypes. Like, here's more spells. Here's a better... Here's a way to stab people better. And, yeah, role-playing, you know, how you flavor is still a thing. Like... Even though it's just bardic inspiration, it's not like different kind of songs to play, you can still spin it as like bardic inspiration through like, you know, regaling tales or poems of the various characters. Like, you can still role play it as you see fit. I just feel like it's missed. It's missed because it's built t- more towards min maxing, it's built more towards the optimal character in terms of combat. Because role playing is so open. Because it comes down when it comes down to role-playing, it's straight up, how does the GM want to play it? How does the GM and the players want to do role-playing? You can go an entire d d session. Heck, you can do almost an entire d d campaign and never touch the dice. If that's how you play role-play. You don't touch a single die. You just talk through everything. Hell, I was just playing it the other day with my buddy. And the entire session, I got into only one combat encounter. One, which I'm fine with. I am totally fine with having, like, only one combat, but it being, like, a significant combat, which it was. I'm fine with that. And then we spent hours, like, role-playing. Like, I got to the end, and I met this one guy who I already knew, yada, 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 and we sat there, and there was just... We didn't touch a single die. I didn't touch the die once. I didn't cast any spells, even though I have, like, Charm Person and stuff like that. We just role-played, and it was really fun. I'm playing a sorcerer, and... Besides picking up charm, person, sorcerers aren't really meant for like utility role playing, but it was a lot of fun doing that. So that's the the struggle that Five E has, since role playing's so open, and they try and you know use the rule books to show like what kind of things you can do for role playing. That when it comes to the classes themselves, it just focuses on damage output. It focuses on doing stuff in combat, like the monks running much faster and avoiding hits and then punching a lot. The fighter, straight up just slashing through everyone, and keep going because of action surge and second wind. The barbarian, crush people's skulls. The rogue, stabbing people. Like there is these tools and stuff like that. But again, outside of the thief archetype, there's barely anything in terms of rogue that deals with role playing. Like the thief archetype goes in about like stealing shit from people. Yes, but that's it. I get that. The rest of the rogue stuff is like sneak attack shit. (laughs) Remaining hidden and not getting hit. That way you can stab more people with sneak attack. It's built towards sneak attack because that's the rogue's gimmick. Sneak attack. That's what they ended up doing. Like the barbarian. The barbarian's gimmick is rage. So everything has to deal with the rage. Yes, I understand having a gimmick in a class. But again, they build it so much to the min-maxing mindset that it takes players away sometimes. I'm playing in a current campaign where one of the players is straight up min-maxing so hard that it is ruining the experience, at least for me. I don't know about the others, but for me personally, he's a fighter. I'm a barbarian. We got one guy playing a paladin and another guy playing, it's a homebrew class called Liquid Knight. It was approved by the GM. I really don't give a shit. He's trying it out, which is all good because we're all friends, so it's whatever. So we're all melee fighters, right? There is straight up no point to any of us being there because of the fighter. He's, you know, he has levels in fighter, he picked up a level in rogue, he picked up a level in barbarian, and he has the brawler feet, and he's using a halberd, and he's dumped so much into his strength and athletics that his entire thing is I grapple people, knock them down, and because I'm knocking them down, I get an opportunity attack, and because of that opportunity attack, I get sneak attack, so I get all this bonus damage, and I'm raging. And like, he does so much that me as a barbarian, you would think the barbarian is. You know a decent damage dealer. I'm literally there to be a damage spawn. now yes tank is like you know tanking is a role but it's like I'm built as a barbarian monk as a person who does burst damage and runs around. there's no point in me doing anything because the fighter can just look at someone and they die. It was funny at first because he suplexed a yeti. it was really funny don't get me wrong but that's all he does. when it comes to role-playing, he does very little. He takes the easy way out. Oh, that vampire wants us to bring all these refugees back to town? Okay, let's bring them back to town so the vampires can feed on them. Keep in mind, this guy is a uh, good alignment, and he hates monsters. As in, like, the joke is whenever we sense monsters, he gets a murder boner and wants to kill all the monsters. But the vampire's not. He doesn't want to kill them. Even though they're monsters? Nah, we're not going to kill them. The vampire wants us to bring the people back? Let's just do that. He takes the easy way out and just wants his stats to be all he is. Because 5e kind of caters to that. Obviously, yeah, like my sorcerer, my barbarian, my barbarian monk has high strength and high wisdom because it's what I need for the character. But I don't let that define who I am. I let the role-playing also take over and try to talk to people and try and develop a character beyond punch-punch-stab. But everyone else, especially the GM, thinks, well, he's a barbarian, so he's a punch-punch-stab because that's what the stats do. That's what the numbers are for. Min-maxing and balancing in games usually comes down to the numbers. And when people just see numbers, it loses the aspect of the game. And again, something like a tabletop RPG is a game, but it's also a role-playing experience. Where are you supposed to just have fun with each other and have chances to talk to one another? You know, that this campaign I'm talking about what's this barbarian monk, there's nothing notable for me to talk about. There really isn't. Like there is this whole story, but it's so just watered down and basic that there's no point. Like there's effort put into it. Like the GM made this entire chart and everything of like all the income and the population of all these different towns and what each town is good for because we're trying to build this kingdom up. Like there is effort put into it, but then when it comes to us actually trying to interact with it, it's half ass. It's so just bland and watered down because well the party's made of a bunch of you know melee fighting type characters. Why should we role play? So I got nothing from that campaign. I got absolutely nothing. You know? My one buddy is running a campaign, and we're dealing with a group of doppelgangers right now in the city. Yes, we have a sorcerer. I, myself, am a fighter, gunslinger. We have a warlock who is a cook because his patron is all about being good and cooking for people. It's a really weird band of misfits. But there are some notable things there, like, we spent a heavy time talk, like trying to figure out what the hell's going on with these doppelgangers, trying to figure out what's going on in this city and making sure people are safe. Even though none of our characters are really role-play in terms of stats. Again, I'm a fighter. We have a sorcerer who's just a spastic idiot. We have a ranger who does drugs and a crazy chef. Like, none of us are really catered in terms of, like, stats to role-play. But we have fun with it because... The DM likes to build it that way. You know, he, he caters towards that kind of area. And like I think it's really fun. I, you know, I was trying to chase this one guy down, he ended up getting killed because doppelganger did doppelganging, killed the guy, stole his face, and it's framing me, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're sitting there like, okay, now what? <laughs> like this we're kind of stuck here to figure this shit out because this is really bad. By the way, one of them stole my face. It's a bad situation. And it's fun to talk about because we we ignore the fact of balancing things out. We're not worried about exactly balancing the party out and being the best that we can be. We're just worried about where's this taking us, where, where are we going right now? And it's it's fun. It's an incredible journey. I'm like I'm looking at my game shelf. You know, I'm thinking about games that I played that I felt had. Good balancing. And there's so few. There really is. Like, I can't really think of anything like Dragon Age Origins. All right. I talked about this once where I played through a nightmare difficulty, but the only reason why I made it through nightmare difficulty is I was the tank, so I was in control of, you know, threat instead of an AI companion. However, I still would have, you know, lost that campaign if it wasn't for, you know, having win as a healer. Yeah, I could have had a bunch of health potions, but that wouldn't have carried me through. Like, I would have eventually went down, because having 100 skeletons poke me over time would have eventually killed me. You know, and part of the problem was everyone else was squishy, so me taunting people was really important, because then Wyn could go down in two hits if that happened. That's what made Dragon Age 2 a problem, since Dragon Age 2 was... Dragon Age 2 kind of did what D&D did, in a way. There is the role-playing aspects of it, yes, but... It's so few, like there's barely anything, like your stats really don't matter in terms of role play. I remember the first game, there were times that if you invested in nature, which no one fucking did because there weren't a lot of wild animals around, so being able to tell where there's an animal didn't really do much for you, but there was this entire side quest that you could easily complete. Actually, you couldn't even do the side quest if you didn't have nature. It it made that skill viable in some way. You know, if you were playing a rogue that had a high charisma, there were a lot of more dialogue options. Or you're a fighter with high strength, you could intimidate people. Like You could have outcomes in the world or at times shortcut things if you wanted to because of those stats, which I found was pretty cool, but it actually mattered. Heck, when you had to go to the Fade to rescue Connor and deal with the demon that took over, if you went to the Tower of Magi first and save the mages, and then also decide to spare Jawan, then you had options. You had options of how to handle the situation. Like, the role-playing kind of mattered. In Dragon Age 2, Dragon Age 2, your role-playing didn't fucking matter. If that character had to die, it died. It didn't matter what you said. If it looked like what you're saying was, like, like, a good thing, it didn't matter. That character had to die for the story. It doesn't fucking matter. And... It's hard to think of a prime example because I don't remember the character names because it didn't fucking matter. It straight up didn't. Heck, the one time I was playing Dragon Age 2, I only was playing through it because I thought I could romance Aveline. Then I learned you couldn't, and I stopped the playthrough. It didn't fucking matter. You know, the only decent character was the Aeroshock, in my opinion. I really liked the interaction with the Aeroshock, but even he got watered down to must fight. It didn't matter at all. Like, it was, he might think you're honorable and want to 1v1 you, but that's it. Like, he just got watered down to a, let's punch each other to death. Because the role playing didn't matter. Having a high charisma didn't give additional options. You know, at times, it would have been like, hey, because you did this thing before, it opens up this option in dialogue, but in the end, it's still going to have the same result. It doesn't matter. It did the D&D 5e sort of thing where the class has got watered down to what it does in combat and less of what can the classes do outside of combat and also got so watered down, which luckily D&D 5e didn't do this. They watered down healing. The, the balance in the game of having a mage healer was ruined because outside of using Andrus, you got two healing spells and that's if you specced into the spirit healer archetype, which is sad to think. Because you got one healing spell out of the spirit healer archetype and then the basic heal spell. That was it. And then Andrus had a third one. (sighs) Wow, that is terrible. The balancing of combat in terms of having a party healer that you are defending, you know, managing threat and managing DPS to keep the party healer alive, to keep the party going, didn't matter. Just give everyone a shit ton of health potions and make everyone a glass cannon because it doesn't matter. It, It just didn't fucking matter. And that's happens sometimes in D&D if the GM doesn't balance things all the way for a party. It turns into just, let's just have a bunch of health potions and kind of, you know, strong arm our way through things. Why people look so much at numbers is weird to me. It's a game. You're supposed to win. Yes. Okay, cool. If I'm looking, though, if the game's trying to have an experience, like, look, games like, I don't know, fucking Doom, you know, first-person shooter, action-based. Yes, I am going to try and optimize the build. I'm going to look at guns that I work well with because all that matters is me killing things. But a game like Dragon Age or DD or Lancer, where there is that role-playing element, there is that element of what's going on in the world and how do I impact the world, the world isn't numbers. You can't boil down the world and human interaction to just basic numbers. And when you do, it's robbing both yourself and, if you're playing with others in terms of D&D, an experience. An experience that you can have of how are we interacting with things? Why does this matter? You know, in the campaign I'm playing that I'm not enjoying, that I'm actually, like, leaving, why should I care about that vampire? Because she beat us once? Like, that's straight up the mindset. The party doesn't want to fight the vampire because, oh, she beat us once. Yeah, Also, she beat us that one time. That was five levels ago. We're now level 9, not level 4 anymore. So, you know, if you guys want to talk numbers, we we have numbers now. Because that's all I'm seeing. Like, I don't understand why people are afraid of this vampire. I really don't. And yet, yeah, the, the vampire took me down once, but I just don't see her as a threat because I'm not looking at the numbers. Yeah, by the numbers she could take me down, but I have a fighter that can, you know, look at a hydra and kill it. Why should I care about you? Why Why should I care about this villain? Like, what, what impact does a villain have on the world? I don't see it. I straight up just don't see it. And that's where games get ruined in terms of, like, metagame and numbers. Why should I bother? You know, if the metagame gets played, that this one deck, like in Magic, it's kind of the reason why I also stopped playing Magic. Magic got so strong on a meta because it's a trading card game that, you know, this was the deck you played in. You know, and then these cards are made to counter that deck, so then you made this deck. Like, it just cycled through that. I felt, you know, I never really played in the League stuff. I just felt, based on, like, hearing from my friend and just, you know, reading about it, that in terms of personal flair, there was little. It was mostly you had to run this set of cards plus whatever else you wanted on top of it. Like, these were the ways you played, then what's 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 my point? Like, what where's my drive to bother with this? The meta, the numbers are showing do this thing. Okay, cool. Like, uh, I guess I'll just do that then because there's no reason to doing anything else. There's no reason looking at it any other way because the numbers say so. It, this made me also think of Undertale. In terms of balance. Yes, Undertale, with, when it comes to balance in games. Because Undertale, made, they made this big riot about, hey, your choices matter in it. It really doesn't. If you want to have the good ending, you better not touch a single creature. The The morality system in that game is not balanced. It really isn't. Which kind of sucks because it had a really cool combat. Like I liked the combat of it where it was the bullet hell RPG was really cool. They had really cool combat in it but yeah it it forced you to play a certain way twice to get a certain ending that honestly kind of ruined the experience cuz think about it you're a person who gets hurled into this weird world and there are things trying to kill you you're damn straight I'm fighting back that doesn't make me a bad person self defense does not make me a bad person if that creature there wants me dead and will not stop until i am dead Yeah, me killing it sounds like a decent option. That doesn't make me inherently a bad person, I say. But Undertale had other ways of looking at it. Where you had, you know, call me a bigot, but everything had to be sunshine and rainbows. You had to be best friends with everyone. It didn't matter. Which kind of sucked because the morality system was either you're 100% bad or 100% good. There wasn't much of a middle ground to play with. You know, the game chastised you if you killed anyone. Even if it was, like, someone who really wanted to rip your head off, it chastated you anyway because, well, they, you know, they did have a family and they had an impact on the world. Like, yes, I know they did. All right? I, I know they did. And it happens in Dragon Age. There are certain people I kill that, yeah, killing them, is a, like, killing them will have an impact on things. I know that. You know, Loghain. First time I played through, I killed Loghain. And you know what? I didn't care. Later, you know, when my further playthroughs, I found that Loghain actually, if he's in your party, he's actually a really cool character. I wish you had more time to be in a party with Loghain because I think he has a great character. But I don't feel bad for killing him either because of what he did. Like, this is a bad guy. He kill, he willingly let the king and my entire order die. You're damn straight I am I'm feel okay killing him or letting Alistair kill him. The balance of morality in games. It gets skewed also. Is killing Logan inherently bad? You can go ahead and say that if you want. But when I look when I look at it, it's like th- there is a drive for me to do it. There is a reason why I care to kill him. And I feel that when I kill him, that yes, that is the option that I'm making willingly. There aren't any numbers saying that, yeah, Logan has to die. No, Logan should live. Like there's no numbers that it's looking at. At this point, achievement hunting. Yes, I need to let him live and then have him die against the Archdemon to have a certain ending. There's obviously that for achievement hunting. But in terms of build, of building the game, in terms of the game world, outside of it being a game, but the world they created, there's kind of that balance of morality. There are good reasons to letting him live and there are good reasons to killing him. What do you want to do about that? Because it's not numbers. It's... Games are numbers, but games are also not supposed to be numbers. It needs numbers because you need to have game mechanics. Card games need to have abilities, creatures, whatever it is in the card game to make the game run and to say, like, yes, here is an option to win because you get this route to winning through these abilities. Trying not to make it just the numbers is the challenge, and honestly... I don't have an answer to it. I really don't. And that's... It's not, like, bad. Like, it doesn't hurt me personally, but I'm like, I wish there was a way I could find, like, here's the answer to balancing things. Because you know, the only way I can think of is make these things happen, but don't make it so one-sided. Which, again, it's it's hard to state how do you do that. Like, how do I make it where, yes, like, this, th- this is a good play style... But it's not the only way to play the game. Like, how do you do that with numbers, especially RPGs? There's so many fucking variables. There's so many different things that can happen. So many different classes. So many different abilities that you can't just have a surefire way of. This is the best way to play. Like, this is the only. Like this. This is the only way to play to win the game. Or a surefire way of saying like, hey, you can do anything and kind of win regardless, because you can't. Like the first time I played Dragon Age Origins. I didn't really have a dedicated healer. I tried changing Morgan into a healer halfway through the game. I couldn't beat the Archdemon. <laughs> like, you, there there are things you need. You just don't want to make it where it's the only way to do it. Like, I can make win a healer, but also have, like, damaging spells. Like, I could probably build her that way if I wanted to. If I really, really want to. I probably could go through the game, think about it. I probably could go through the game without a tank. It'd be difficult, but I could... I could possibly see a viable way of going through without a tank in Dragon Age, if you have a right amount of rogues that can balance stealth between each other, to just keep losing aggro and then backstabbing to get quick kills. I could see that being an option. Like, there's something there. So, to surmise this rant, you know, this, this rant before the holidays, games that just completely throw out the idea of balancing their mechanics. Are, it's just a fucking sin. It, it's atrocious, it's disgusting, and it hurts. Many games, though, at least put some effort into balancing their games, and when they do, it shows. Like, okay, yeah, it's, I can play the warrior, but that gives me no healing ability, so I'm going to need some sort of healer on my side. doesn't matter where it comes from. Like, Paladin can have healing spells. A like, Cleric can have healing spells. I have like, a bard with heal spells. Like, there are, there are options out there I could have that I could... Keep, you know, heal through some damage. When you see options and the options make sense, that's good, all right? There are still, there's still some struggle with it because some options are better than others. Like if you're looking for a dedicated party healer in D&D, yes, Cleric, excuse me, Cleric is your best option, not going to lie. There are other options, but Cleric is kind of the best option, but then Cleric has other options in terms of like DPS that make them very good. So I see those options, and I like it. Are they all balanced? No. Does the game put some effort in? Yes. And I recognize that and appreciate that. Does Phoenix Point put any effort into balancing its mechanics and making like each class viable? Hell no. You can field an entire group of assault, and the game's going to be piss-easy. You really don't need anything else. You can just run assaults, and you could get through about 95% of the game without a problem. It's a bit imbalanced, if you ask me. So that, that'll be that. All right. That'll be that for this week. Right, I've been a little sick. I'm a little off my uh, my A game right now. And also it's the holidays. So like my mind is elsewhere currently. Uh, but I wanted to get this out. You know, I wanted to let the people know. By the way, speaking of holidays, you know what? Christmas is right around the corner. So if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. If you ha- celebrate Hanukkah, Happy Hanukkah to you. Kwanzaa, enjoy your Kwanzaa. If you celebrate something else that I didn't list, you know, Enjoy it, have a merry, whatever it is to you. If you don't celebrate anything, I mean, hey, just enjoy your time anyway. If if you're on holiday break and you don't celebrate the holiday, more power to you. You can just do whatever the hell you want for this week because you have no prior arrangements to do anything else. So enjoy it regardless. So enjoy whatever it is you're doing this week. Whether you're with family, by yourself, or celebrating a specific holiday. Enjoy it. You deserved it. It's been a rough couple months, and it's the end of 2019. So have a merry whatever, and I will see you next time.